True Crime Podcast. This is our Monday murder meal, as I plan on doing every week from now on, every Monday. And last week I went to different states. I think I'm going to stick to Texas for now on. Make it a Texas Monday mon- Texas Monday murder meal. Kind of tongue-tying a little bit. But yeah, this is, um, I'm going to do a short story every Monday where I do three death row inmates from Texas. What a short story about what they did. I might go in depth later on on a longer edition, but these are just short stories about what they did, their final meal, and what they their last words were. What these scumbags' final statement was to the victim's family and friends and their own. So without further ado, of course this has to deal with murder, not just the last meal, but has to deal with murder, rape. And crime might be not be suitable for all listeners. But let's go with the first one. Richard Burmage Jr. He was executed February 10th, 1997. PDCJ number was 899. And it was October of 1987. During the fall, everybody getting ready for Halloween. Getting their pumpkins carved. And getting ready to do the trick-or-treating where a, a guy is as hideous as when some of these people want to do their pumpkins with roaming the streets looking for a victim. So that was the, this guy was the last face that 19-year-old Mary Beth Kunkel would ever see. This crazed lunatic, Mr. Richard. I'm, I need to stop calling him Mr. So, but the scumbag Richard Grimmage Jr. And so let me tell you a little story about, you know, story story about what happened. So after calling Mary Beth to lure her to his house under the pretense that he needed her to pick up some tools that he had borrowed from her boyfriend, Brimage Richard called his Brimage called his friend Leo Molina and asked him to come over. When Molina arrived, Brimage told him told his friend that a girl was coming over to have sex with him and I don't know why he needs this other guy over there, but all the same he called him over. He told Leo to wait in the back bedroom. And so when Mary Beth knocked on the front door, Molina listened from the vantage point in the bedroom as Brimage led her into the master bedroom. When Molina heard the girl scream, he peered out the bedroom door and saw Brimage striking her in the face when he saw his demented face. And, you know, this guy was going crazy and inject her, this terrified girl, with a syringe full of cocaine, which I don't know why. It seems like he'd want to knock her out. But instead, he filled her up with cocaine. So by this time, Melina fled from the house in fear. I hope I'm saying this guy's name right, but who cares? It's spelled M-O-L-I-N-A. Molina. So Brimage then choked, strangled, and stuffed a sock down her throat. And then by that point, he kind of put positioned her away where he just, you know, cut her panties off so he could just look at her. I think he was planning on raping her at that moment, but didn't realize he had killed her. He, 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 she, she wasn't appealing no more, so therefore he abandoned the, the rape scenario of it. So he, driven by curiosity, the other guy, Melena, returned to the scene just minutes later. Brimage, B-R-I-M, Brimage, B-R-I-M-A-G-E, showed her... What he had done and talked his friend into helping him cover up the crime. With the help of him, 
they both stuffed the young girl, the student's body, in the trunk of his parents' car. His parents, I'm guessing, maybe. I mean, he, they never say if he lived with his parents or not, but he, he did drive his parents' car. Tells you what type of person this man was. So he then took Mary Beth's car and banded it on the campus nearby Texas A&I University. He and then they both drove to the town of Alice where they rented the motel room for the night. But Mary Beth's body was still in the trunk of the car parked outside their room at this time. I know they abandoned it. I said they abandoned it, but they they didn't. So they both told Brimage, so Molina told Brimage that he wanted to go see some relatives who lived nearby. He said he would be back in an hour or two. Of course, he never returned. He popped smoke and got out of there. The following morning, after realizing that his friend had abandoned him, Brimage drove back to Kingsville. On the way, he pulled over to the side of the road and opened the trunk to gaze at the dead girl's body. He felt compelled to touch her. Wait, now I remember. He... They they got rid of her car on the side of the road. Melina took Mary Beth's car on the side. I misread. Remember, he, they took her car. If there's any misunderstandings earlier, I think I confused myself with my notes. They abandoned her car outside the university, but they kept their body inside their car. So, but yeah, he pulled over the side of the road to gaze at the girl's naked body. But he he w thought he was going to touch her, but he later he chicken now he lost nerve and drove to his parents house in Kingsville so yeah he is living with his parents so the next day I believe the other guy had knocked him out told the police what happened because I guess he finally realized the severity of it so police discovered the, the keep decomposing body of Mary Beth in the trunk of the yellow Cadillac parked at their garage in the garage after he was arrested Bremage confessed to the crime it was found out that he had also attempted sexual assault on another girl that he had lured in his house just two weeks before the murder. The girl reported the incident to the police with no formal charges, but no 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 charges was filed. But and if they would have, maybe Mary Beth would still be alive. So Richard Brimage was executed by lethal injection in State Texas on February tenth, nineteen ninety seven, after spending three thousand. 216 days on death row. He requested a medium pepperoni pizza and a Dr. Pepper for his last meal. He was 42 years old on day of ex the execution. He His education level, he graduated from high school 12 years. Age of defense, he was 31 when he committed this offense. And his last statement was, listen to this, not for me, but I have a message from you from God. Save the children Find one who needs help and make a small sacrifice of your own wealth and save the innocent ones. They're, they are the key for making the world a better place. Then why is this guy eliminating the young ones? Hmm? Alright, that was our first one. Two more to go. Alright, our second scumbag goes to John Kennedy Bearfield. Executed March 12th. 1997 TDCJ number was 844. This one happened in Houston, Texas on July 21st, 1986, where him and his brother and a friend was driving slowly through the streets of Houston looking for some action, or they had made a plan earlier that day of what they were going to do. What they were going to do, actually, they had plans for what their, what their, how their night's going to be. 
So what they had, they came up, they were driving, they came up to a parking lot where they saw Cindy Renee Roundsville, R-O-U-N-S-A-V-I-L-L-E. And that's where their dark plans became a reality. John Fairfield and his friend kidnapped their, grabbed their young Rice University graduate at gunpoint and forced her into the car. Fairfield drove while his friend guarded her in the back seat. Fairfield's brother followed in the car closely behind them. They drove the terrified hot girl to the nearest ATM machine where they forced her to withdraw all the funds in her bank account. They also took their engagement ring and you know and the Rice University graduation ring which she really loved a lot, which she wore very proudly. After forcing her back in the car, Fairfield and his friend drove Cindy to a darker street and parked. Fairfield's brother quickly joined them from another car, and three men discussed what they were going to do with her. And since she had already seen their faces, the trio voted unanimously to rape her. So by that time, so after that, they they took turns with her. So after they were done, knowing that you know her life was in, you know they decided, well, since we already did this and she did see all our faces, what should we do? What what's going to happen to her? So knowing that her life was in peril, what you know the obvious, they weren't going to let her go alive. She summoned up the courage that she could find, and in quick bursts of fear-fueled energy, she bolted from the back seat of the car and ran into a nearby field. Well, John Bearfield, with gun in hand, ran quick pursuit after her, you know, knowing that she got away, that he, you know, like I said, Texas don't mess, I said this before, Texas don't mess around with things like this. You would go, now, if they would have not killed her, maybe he, they would have just got away with the rape, but they decided to shoot her. So as Cindy ran for her life, a shot rang, you know, he shot her, striking her in the left side of the head, dropping her to her hands and knees, John then fired his 22 caliber pistol once again and sent a bullet to the right side of her head, destroying a major part of her brain, you know, killing her at the site. So that's when they took off. And the following day, a city mower operator found her body, you know, following the nude from the waist down. And of course, a burnt shell of a car was found later in another field a distance away, probably her car. They never said if it was her car or not, but. I said maybe one day, well actually I don't think I'll be covering this one. And this is what you're going to get. Just weeks after the kidnapping, robbery, sexually assault, and cold-blooded murder of her, John Barefield was arrested on an unrelated case. In his possession, police discovered the Rice University graduation ring and a 22 caliber pistol that he used for the murder. John Kennedy Barefield was executed of capital murder and because of the murder and because he robbed and raped her, I think they, they did find, you know, of course, three guys in there. There definitely was, you know, evidence that she's been raped and spent three. So that's what they meant. That was the aggravating circumstances. She spent, they spent 3,817 days on death row, exhausting his appeals processes before he was executed. And his last meal was, and I noticed a lot of people eat this as a last meal. He ate a double meat cheeseburger and french fries for a last meal. So on March 12, 1997, he was executed for the murder of Cindy Renee Ronsville. He spent 32, he was 32 years old. He only had an 8th grade education. At the time of offense, he was only 22. 
In his last statement, he just mumbled, Tell Mama I love her. And that's all he had to say there. And there he is dead. But now for our final and third one for the week, we have David Lee Herman. He was executed April 2nd, 1997. His TDT, Texas Department of Correction Justice TDCJ number was 999003. But yeah, this man was uh, a manager of a topless bar, topless bar named Lace. But not too long after that, he was there about 10 years. He became a lot of people like, but somehow he got fired. I don't know, they don't say why he got fired, but he was released from that position. So on December 20th, 1989, I guess because he knew how much money they had and everything, he knew the insides and outs of this topless club. It's been two years since he had managed that club. So the new manager, Clay Griffin, was the new manager of Lace, was preparing to open a club for today. When David Herman walked in and pulled out a 357 Magnum pistol, he ordered Griffin to the office where the club's bookkeeper, Jennifer Burns, and the woman who checked the you know, customer's ID, Sally Fogle, F-O-G-L-E. If I can't pronounce the name, I'll just spell them. Maybe you all can. I don't read very well, as you could tell. <laughs> but we're preparing for the daily business. Herman ordered Burns to put over... 11,000 in a canvas bag and then he tried to rape the 21 year old the girl who takes ID when his attempt failed Harmon became furious and in a fit of rage shot Clay Griffin and the two women with the high caliber pistol killing young Jennifer Burns he fled the scene of the crime and yes the other two individuals did survive Clay Griffith and Harmon which would be his downfall Acting upon information provided by Griffin and Fogley, Fog, F-O-G-L-E, police arrested Herman 10 days later, so he didn't really do a good job, usually, with, especially with a 357, he didn't, he just shot, 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 and left. Recovered most of the money at this time 10 days later, it only took him 10 days to get this man. Recovering most of the money at his trial, the two survivors of the robbery murder provided a jury with eyewitness testimony leaving no doubt as Harmon's guilt. It took the jury only 15 minutes to convict club's former manager of capital murder. So on April 2nd, 1997, David Lee Herman became the 110th man executed in the state of Texas since the death penalty was reinstated in 1976. The day before his execution, Herman tried to slash his throat and wrist with a blade from a disposable razor. He was taken to a local hospital where his wounds were stitched and they saved his life. No, you're not gonna get off that easy. We're killing you, you don't kill yourself. I always, always thought that was funny. How many people try to take their life just for the state to save or county to save them, just to execute them? So, on his last meal ready, he requested a hamburger pizza. Root beer, vanilla ice cream, for it was his last meal. He was 39 on the day of execution he had a he was so he spent some he actually did some college his education level was 14 years age time on the fence was 32 so seven eight years after it his final statement was it was a horrible and inexcusable for me to take the life of your loved one and to hurt so many mentally to let me read this start over again it was horrible and inexcusable for me to take the life of your loved one 
and to hurt so many mentally and physically. I am here because I take your life and killing is wrong by an individual by the state. I am sorry that we are here, but if my death gives you peace and closure, then this is all worthwhile. To all my friends and family, I love you, and I am going home to wherever you believe is home for this man. That's where he's heading. But there's the three three death you know, scumbags and a short story what they did and their final meal and statement. So, as always, if you like this, please rate and view every. If this is something, we'll still do this. We'll try to do this every Monday. If you like this, feedbacks always asked for. Never get none, but hopefully one of these days. So, well, I get some sometime on my YouTube channel. This will also be on YouTube, anywhere podcasts are played. Also, I think my Patreon is up. So, if you want to help me out, my wife's getting tired of me spending a bunch of money and nothing coming in. So if you enjoyed this, as little as a dollar, you can. I haven't put no Patreon episodes up, which I plan on doing. I'm just trying to figure out what to do. Or you just PayPal me some money. PayPal at truckstopmurder@gmail.com. But, yep, as always, mainly just share and rate and review whatever you listen to. That's why I really, let's build this up. I'm going to try to get back into it. And this is in my truck. So if the audio is bad, I do apologize. I have to actually tear down and set up my studio every time I record so my sound may not be consistent all the time but I do try but anyhow there's the Monday murder meals from Texas and as I always end this episodes with you can't fix stupid but you can sure numb it with a 2x4 I am out of here <laughs>